electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. John Ford, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The playbook ahead of the most critical week for stocks as mega cap earnings and another Fed meeting loom large. We debate the road ahead. For your money with the investment committee, Rob Seachin's here along with Steve Weiss with me on set, Shannon Sakosha and Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets here. Take you to the wall, 12 noon in the east. We got red across the board. We're still looking at the second positive week in the past three for stocks. There you go, the 10-year note yield coming down uh, a bit as well. 279 is where we currently sit there. So, Shan, my question to you is this big week looms. Are we any closer to settling the, if it is a debate, as to whether this is just a bear bounce, a tradable bear bounce, or something more? Well, I think we're closer in that we're getting economic data that is consistent with the anecdotal data that we're hearing. And so if I look at what I'm thinking about in terms of the next couple of weeks for earnings, um, we have been um, relying on sentiment data. That sentiment data has not jived with the real data that we're getting from the economy. And so now we're getting the opportunity to understand, are these companies seeing what the consumer is saying? or what we're actually seeing in the data. And I, so I think we're getting the guidance and the clarity that we need. There are some questions. Um, I think we're gonna go over those today. There's some questions for me over the next couple of weeks. But I think this earnings season was pinpointed as a in potential inflection point for the market. And I would agree, I think it is, and I think it's an inflection point to the positive based okay. on what we've seen so far. Okay, Weiss, I mean, if, if this is just a tradable bear bounce, you seem to be taking full advantage of it uh, maybe a little bit later than others, but nonetheless, you say you've added meaningful exposure as a trade uh, through the SMH, the Qs, you bought Devon, you bought Target, Delta Airlines, Boeing, Amazon, Porsche, you added to XPO and GXO. What does that say about your thinking here? Because you've been decidedly negative for many months. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm still, I'm still bearish in the market. Uh, when I was on the show Monday, I said it's a tradable bounce. So why not follow through with what I was seeing and saying? Uh, by no means did I catch the entire move. You know, I'm happy catching half of the move on some exposure. So my exposure went from 10 to 50, 10% to 50% uh, long, net long. And that's easy to do when you use some of the derivative instruments to get there. In terms of the positioning of the stocks, I was playing momentum on Boeing uh, and, and Delta that came out of the air show. Uh, those, those positions are gone now. Uh, they worked out okay, not great. Uh, for, uh, for Porsche, which I went back into, they reasserted that they're going to do fine this year. And Porsche is a luxury brand, so it's not impacted by what we're seeing with the consumer, with AT&T coming out and saying consumers are now a couple of days later than they were last year and paying their bills. Right. So I think the consumer, the majority of consumers, still under pressure. Uh, those other positions, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I started cutting them back 
Um, Target has been cut back to just a fraction of what I bought uh, because next week will be an important week. More so than earnings, Scott, is uh, what the Fed will say. You've had a decline, a nice decline in commodity prices. Will they give a nod to that? The market always chooses to be optimistic and Mm -hmm. look at the market half full, by and large. But I'm still saying that the market just doesn't know what's in store. And companies, sure, they're saying that things are a little more challenging. But they said last quarter things were phenomenal. So I take that with a grain of salt. But you, I still wait, think let me the, stop market, you for a second, the economy goes into recession. Okay, let yep, me stop you ahead. for a second. Because right. the, the Dow's up 8% since the, the June low. The S&P's up 9.5%. Right. You used the words, um, I may not have captured the whole bounce, but half of the move. Does that suggest that you think there's still a considerable part of this bounce left to happen? No, no, I, 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 I didn't. I caught part of the bounce that happened so far this week. I didn't catch much of it at all last week, um, but I caught half this week. I don't know what's in front of us. I think next week is a pivotal week until the next pivotal week. I don't think you're going to be able to declare, okay, we're going a lot lower or we're going a lot higher next week. It'll be short term like everything is in this market. So just to clarify, it did not mean to insinuate that there's a much bigger bounce coming. I'm still trying to think through it, frankly. I got you. And, you know, I'll declare before the Fed meeting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everybody's obviously trying to to figure it out. Um, Bank of America, with their flow show note that they put out every week, uh, they declare no green light yet for a new bull trend. That's Michael Hartnett positioning closest to a green light for risk appetite trade higher. But profits and policy don't yet give the green light for a new bull trend uh, is what he says. Sell the S&P at forty two hundred, which is, uh, you know, a little bit still to go from from here. So what about you, Jim, ahead of what is a incredibly big week, given all the earnings that are coming? Right. Yeah. Microsoft and Apple, Alphabet, Meta, uh, Amazon, the Fed meeting Tuesday, Wednesday, GDP, uh, a read as well. It's kind of an overwhelming week, Scott, so we better get our sleep this weekend. And I'm not kidding. And I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, 23 hours ago I was with you. We had an extra 15 seconds at the end of the show. You asked me point blank, you know, how do I feel about the markets? I said nervous, okay? And that may catch people by surprise because I've been bullish and I remain bullish in the long and intermediate term. But the truth of the matter is I see the risks that are out there. I see them. You know, bravery is not uh, the absence of fear. It's action in the face of fear. And I see the reasons to be concerned about earnings. But here's Here's what I'm going to say. The week so far and last week as well in earnings, albeit it's only 15 percent of the show so far, it's been pretty good. And one thing that's generally been missing in these earnings reports is kitchen sinking. And there are so many reasons to kitchen sink, whether it's FX, whether it's inflation, whether it's Russia. Now, IBM did kitchen sink it, but that's, you know, that's really the only one I can point to. So the, the problem for making a prognostication in the short term right now is there just isn't enough data. Next Next week really matters. I hear, Steve, the Fed is, of course, important. To me, uh, the earnings reports exactly what the supply chain is doing to Apple, to Qualcomm. That's what matters to me. Yeah. What about you, Seach, as you look ahead to, to next week? So I would say this, two things. Number one, don't read too much into this rally. We haven't seen any real change in the liquidity environment. Many names are overbought. They're heading towards their technical resistance levels. The 100-day moving average on the S&P is 4,100. So I don't know if we get to the 4,200. At that point, the markets will be trading in an 18 times PE. That's if you believe the earnings. 
the last time we were there, the Fed was cutting, not hiking. Number two, I would say be wary of the day-to-day -day market narratives. Um, this, this rally was kicked into high gear, starting with last Friday's uh, University of Michigan sentiment sur survey. The bond market is now pricing in rate cuts in 2023, and the timeline for these cuts has been inching forward. The narrative is if the bond market is already pricing in rate cuts, traders believe that they need to be buying risk. We would say not so fast because I think the Fed, it, we have two more CPI prints before the Fed uh, after this next 75 basis points in July, which takes us to neutral. We have two more. You might see a deceleration in inflation activity, but does the Fed really want to make the mistake that Arthur Burns did in the 1970s and uh, start to start to lower rates um, when nominal GDP started to decelerate? And it ended up exacerbating and prolonging the inflationary episode through the decade into the 80s. I think this Fed does not want to do that. And that's why we are decidedly cautious. And we would be using this bounce to start to think about how to protect portfolios. Are you more concerned, Jim, about the earnings or the Fed and what the Fed says? Um, the earnings. I feel like the Fed's pretty much a known entity at this point in time, right? I mean, they've, they've pretty much told us it's 75 basis points. I don't think they're going to say that they have some secret piece of data that we don't have. I mean, they see what's going on with commodities. They see the labor picture, frankly, probably better than most. So it's earnings where the greatest uncertainty next week lies. Now, that's a short-term outlook from somebody who's known for the long-term outlook. Uh, but it's, it's going to be a hell of a week, Scott. But I mean, there's going to be a lot of information gained. There is. The, I mean, these stocks, you know, let's, let's talk about these mega caps. Yes, there are other important names yep. on that board right there, but it, it really sort of rides on just given where the rally's gone, um, how much weight the Nasdaq has brought along in that rally. That's why these stocks now become uber important. Apple's up 20 percent from the June low, right? It's up 15 percent in a month. And a lot of these stocks have had similar uh, outcomes, not quite as robust as that. So as you look ahead to that, um, the risk reward for the biggest stock in the market, says Jonathan Krinsky, Apple looks quite poor to us. That's what he says. He joins us now to tell us why he thinks that. And I can't imagine it's much more, Jonathan, that the fact of what I just said, that the stock ran as far as it did in the period of time in which it did. Is there any more to the story than that? Um, yes and no. I mean, yeah, um, uh, you know, the basic thesis here, it's had a 20 percent rally off the lows, almost identical to the move we saw in late March, which, by the way, was right ahead of its um, of its last earnings print. Um, and so, you know, the run up into the earnings print always makes you a bit cautious. Um, it's also got the 200 day moving average overhead around 158. So that's another area to uh, to keep in mind. And then we're also seeing some, you know, upside exhaustion signals, just different metrics we we focus on. You know, similar readings that we've we've seen Apple stall in the past. So you kind of add that all up. Um, I do think the risk reward is poor here. And the other issue is that it's kind of been treated as a safe haven. You you haven't really seen to the same extent the rally in, in names like Google. Um, and I think as you know, some of the other names have have shown more downside risk. Investors have have moved into Apple and kind of used it as a safe haven. And so I think now um, there is a lot of. Uh, I would, you know, I would almost call it a little crowded as a long idea right here. I mean, it's no different than what we said months ago when we said these mega caps had almost become defensive plays uh, or proxies of, of where to be in the market. Are we returning now to that same environment in a in a world of uncertainty? 
yeah, you know, you're, you're seeing it in, you know, mega cap healthcare, same, same type of, uh, same type of theme there. Um, and we would note, you know, look, if, if you have to be invested, then obviously you're going to go up uh, in quality and, and up in the defensive factor, right? So, you know, defensive names in bear markets do go down less, but that doesn't mean it's a good buy rate or it doesn't mean the risk reward is good. So we understand why investors have been, you know, moving up the quality scale risk, you know, economic data is deteriorating and trends are still weak. So that makes sense to us. But from a pure, you know, absolute price perspective, I, I think Apple is pretty poor risk reward right here. What about the Nasdaq in general, given the move that, that we've had from the lows? Yeah, um, I mean, look, you've seen a pullback in in rates, which is, you know, certainly given a boost to the growth part of the market. Um, by our work, you know, we're probably, you know, 70 to 80 percent through the rally um, in the Nasdaq by our work. So, you know, our, our thought coming in the last few weeks was that you would see this kind of um, uh, push pull where the, the weakest area of the market saw a bounce and the strongest area of the market saw a pullback. So we've seen this conversion in um you know, in high momentum and low momentum names, and that's given the boost to the NASDAQ. But we think, you know, we're, we're the bulk of the way through this. And then as we start getting into August, um, we think correlations are going to rise again. And that's going to lead to that, you know, final drop for the S&P that we've been looking for. And you're still looking for that. You still think yeah, we that still, we're, you, you still think we're putting going to put in a new low? Yeah, we, we've been calling for 34, 3,500. Um, you know, we got down to 3660 or so, um, but we think rallies above 4000 are, are good opportunities to reduce risk ahead of that move lower. Um, again, and the, the reason being, uh, we just never saw that full-fledged capitulation. I know you've been talking about some of the flow data, um, some of the positioning. Clearly, on the institutional side, positioning has come in, but we think um, on the retail side, there's still a lot, of, uh, a lot of ways to go on the capitulation factor. Well, because we still had a significant number uh, at least as you know, technicians look at it of 90 plus percent volume down days, you know, what, what more do you need to see? Well, you know, again, if you can look back every major market bottom of the last 15 years, um, there's a couple of key things that have, that have happened at every major bottom that we didn't have this year. One of them was the VIX curve, which we've talked to you about getting a, a pretty good inversion there. We haven't even come close to that. And then you talk about downside volume. So we look at uh, downside volume on a 20 day basis every major bottom hasn't happened until you've gotten that above 60%. And we're, we really only got to like 56, 57%. So, you know, again, we got close, it could be different this time. But again, when you, when you kind of add up all the pieces to the puzzle, you have economic data deteriorating still. Um, it just feels like us, we're not quite out of the woods yet. Okay, we'll leave it there. I appreciate you joining me. Have a good weekend. We'll see you soon. That's Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG. Let's kick around some of these stocks. Shan, Apple, right? Uh, risk reward has become poor. The stock has done really well. And now even more weight is, is riding on it. The bar goes higher as the stock moves up into the number. I, I think this is, uh, I somewhat disagree with, with Krinsky's points here in terms of what the, where the risk reward is. I think we're looking out over the next three quarters and the biggest overhang for me, or two biggest overhangs for me for Apple are supply chain considerations and concerns um, as well as services revenue. And so you could see, you could potentially argue that you might see, see a decline in services revenue given the consumer confidence numbers, given the amount of discretionary spending that's available in that basket with higher food and gas prices. But both food and gas prices are coming down. The second part of that 
is these supply chain concerns and considerations. I can't tell you exactly when we're going to see a, a retirement of zero COVID policy in China, um, but I know that we are going to print, if we print under 2%, and that's probably more like 0% in real numbers out of China GDP this quarter, that this is going to change. Um, and I think that that will actually be a catalyst and a tailwind for, for Apple because they have guided very conservatively based on those supply chain concerns out of China. So uh, the other one, you know, given what's happening right now with Snap, which is a unmitigated disaster, uh, obviously, and wondering what the read through is for, for Meta and Alphabet, if any. Wedbush's Dan Ives suggests that there's not much of one. Now, I don't know if, if all of you agree with that or not. Um, he thinks the two most important prints next week are Microsoft and Apple. He says Snap's a, a paper airplane in a windstorm, a not a phenomenal barometer for the pace of the digital ad slowdown for platforms like Facebook and Meta uh, and Google and other digital ad players. Um, you could disagree with him. I, I would somewhat take issue with that. You own Alphabet? Yeah, um, I agree with him. And uh, look, first up, the market cap, Google, Alphabet versus Snap is 60-fold, right? None of us are denying that there's an economic slowdown going on. I mean, we can see that with the PMI, whatever you want to look at, it, there's an economic slowdown. When you have an economic slowdown, it's the little guys who lose first, okay? So if you're, pull, if you're an advertiser and you're pulling back advertising spend, you're going to start with Snap. It doesn't necessarily transfer through to Google Alphabet unless you are having a recession. Scott, you know well my perception on that, my belief that this is a growth slowdown and not a recession. That's why I'm pretty sanguine about Alphabet. Sure. But I mean, if you're having a slowdown in ad spending, it's going to affect everybody. It just may not, not affect them as much. Not necessarily. Not so, necessarily. So you're not looking for any I, slowdown in, the, in, in ad spending related to Meta or Alphabet at all? Again, again I don't want to sound like I'm a Pollyanna, OK? And I know that's come across in the last few months. I see you smiling. Last few, last few minutes, too, but that's neither here nor there. Go ahead. No, but, uh, here, but <laughs> months, my, centra, my, central point, my central point for the last several weeks has yeah. been there's a balance out there. And if you look at, for instance, Disney, all right, and this is apples to apples. Maybe it's Granny Smith to, uh, uh, to, to Golden Delicious apples. But Disney last week announced a $9 billion uh, upfront ad sale, a lot of which was on their streaming business. And, you know, frankly, it shows that the advertising spend, that was a record for them. Record. That was last week. It's a mixed picture. There are positives as well as negatives is what I've been saying all along. Yeah. Ad spending. More concerned about Meta than than Alphabet, frankly. I mean, I, I don't actually disagree with Jim at all in terms of prioritizing your ad spending and where you're going to put that. Um, and I think that there's been a significant overhang, you know, for, for Meta. And, and I own the stock, so I can be honest about it. Um, I think there's been significant overhang with the iOS changes. And I think that one of the things that I would be looking for is that we may see greater emphasis within the Alphabet uh, earnings release on ad spending, but I would caution people not to get too caught up in that and to look at the rest of that company, um, because I do think that it has not participated the way that it should, um, given where we're going over the next six to 12 months. Weiss, did I read off this list correctly that one of the stocks that you bought was Amazon, in fact, because Barron's is out today uh, saying that that stock's gotten so crushed, there's a case it could double or even triple from here. I'm wondering what you think about what they have to say. They've yeah. rarely, this is a quote, Amazon shares have rarely been more attractive. Yes, the latest quarter will be bad, but the future couldn't be brighter. Yeah, look, I didn't rethink my position of, of being slightly long Amazon. I've cut back because of the Barron's article, as sometimes I would do. I'm just kidding there, of course. Look, I, I, I think it's lost attention from others. You know, uh, it's still uh, a barometer of spending, of course. 
Um, so it was really a market call that I bought Amazon. Uh, it wasn't saying, hey, this is the best opportunity to get in. I do believe you get another chance. And with Apple, I think Apple's going to miss. I think, you know, coin flip, a little better than the coin flip. But I believe they miss. I mean, they've got expensive products. So why should they be immune to what we're seeing in consumer spending? And in terms of ad, ad spending is a leading indicator of the economy. Ad spending is weakening. That's undeniable. I've spoken to people in the industry. That is occurring. So you can't associate streaming, spending with streaming, with what's going on. And we've never seen, you know, the small companies, Twitter or, you know, Snap being leading indicators of anything. They've got so many issues. But I'd be a little cautious on it because I think the economy is going into recession. Amazon. So, yeah. Okay. So I think you'll see that come out this quarter. Amazon was one of your stock summit, stock summit picks at the very beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And we, what about it here for what's been a colossal disappointment? It's down near 26% year to date. Getting some enthusiasm here, though, in the marketplace. It's some tailwinds here, Scott. Let's be honest. It's been a nice couple of weeks. Um, this is definitely a second half story. If you look at um, comps are improving, cost transparency is improving. Um, and I think that this uh, overhang of concern around enterprise spending, cloud spending is not going away. Companies are going to continue across sectors and industries to be investing in the cloud. And AWS is highly profitable, um, high margin business. So, again, we might see a little bit of a additional emphasis on ad spending. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, if you're not in Amazon now, um, I think this is an excellent entry point for a long-term holder of the hey, stock. Hey, Rob Seachin, before we take a break, how come no one's talking about Seagate today? How come I'm only hearing sort of the positives around some of these big tech names and I'm not focused or, or no one's brought up the fact of, oh yeah, but what about Seagate, uh, right? I mean, their, their earnings were disappointing. The stock was getting hit hard. Um, it's downgraded today at one firm. The target goes to 79 from 112. It's, they're talking about a, uh, a softer demand picture. Revenue down 13% year over year. Why, why aren't people focusing more on this and ignoring it? Well, we don't, we don't own Seagate. And you, you know that we're not too positive on tech more broadly because earnings estimates for tech have gone up. and not down this year, and inflows into technology show that the pain trade is still lower from here. I mean, it trades at a 20% premium to the market. But the reason we do own names in big tech, names like Apple, Microsoft, Google, um, and in consumer Amazon, is because in a world without free money, um, you want to go to where companies can manage their businesses. And these are near monopoly businesses that have incredible moats. Take Google just to pick uh, pick up on something that Jim said. It's trading at 18 times earnings uh, and it's only a 7% premium to the markets and it's generally been as high as 25%. So when I look at quality businesses and think about at the periphery the businesses that are going to be impacted, they're going to get hit first these are going to get hit second. And while we may have a, a tough week for earnings next week, these are core compounders, ones that you should not be trading. You should be looking to pick up if they sell off. And I know that goes counter to what I'm saying about tech, but the reality of it is, is every time we've seen these sell-offs and you get an opportunity to pick up a great business that compounds over time, we've done it. And that's why we own these names 
relative to some of the other ones. See, I bring up Seagate, start talking about Alphabet. <laughs> well, there's a re- but there's a reason why. There's I don't want to talk about it. There's a reason why. There's a reason why. I'm, look, I'm why? just going to say it. It's a $16 billion market cap company. Now, I'm not going to dismiss it because that will really tick you off. But what I am going to say is if I... <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, sorry, folks, you can't see. There you are. can't see, Scott. Hang are, on. There, are there not legitimate concerns yes. about PCs yes. and PC demand? Yes. Scott, again, the thing I've been saying all along is we need balance between the positive and the negative. So Seagate is a negative. But we've got positives in the last couple of weeks from Taiwan Semi and Samsung in, you know, that space amongst others. And they were decidedly positive. And those two, Taiwan Semi and Samsung, are just behemoths compared to Seagate. I, I don't want to denigrate Seagate. I just can't, I can't get worked up about it. Okay. We have more on today's market moves next with our halftime headliner. It's Payne Capital's Courtney Garcia. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Let's check the markets here. Uh, Dow's down by 108, 31,927. The S&P 500, 39.63. That is a loss of 35 points. And the NASDAQ, uh, which has been outperforming lately, is underperforming the market today. It's a, a near 2% decline. That's 220 points. Let's welcome in our halftime headliner now, Courtney Garcia, Payne Capital Management Senior Wealth Advisor. It's nice to see you again. Uh, welcome to this program. Uh, is, the whole, is this whole entire rally riding on next week? I, that's going to be a big part of it, right, as everybody is waiting to see what's going to be happening with the Fed. Um, but at this point, I think a lot of that is really anticipated. The big debate right now is, are they going to be raising by 75 basis points, a full basis point? Um, but at this point in time, I think realistically, what's getting lost in this debate is you're starting to see a lot of signs that inflation over the longer term is likely going to be coming down. And I think that's what the markets are going to focus on is not next week what's happening, but six, 12 months from now, is inflation going to be a lot lower than it is today? And if the consumer is still in a good place, I think we can likely get through this period, hopefully without the large recession that I think a lot of people have been so worried about. So I don't know if the, this is kind of the end of this. I don't know if we're kind of quite out of the woods with all the selling we've seen in the markets. But I would say we're probably getting closer to the end of this. And I'm really optimistic about a second positive half of the year. Here. Wow. OK, so it, but it's all predicated, sounds to me, uh, on a Fed pivot because inflation comes down 
enough over the, you know, I don't know, it's already halfway through the year, over the few months ahead that you can still have a pretty constructive second half? I mean, it's got it's got to really hedge on them coming down at some point, which could happen, right, if inflation's coming down. But ultimately, if inflation's running at 9% a year continually and continually going up, at a certain point, that's going to become unsustainable for the consumer. But at this point, you even saw this with the bank earnings coming out. They're really showing that the consumer is still in a good position. They're still having healthy balance sheets. So, so far, they've been able to get through this. And if they can continue to do so and then inflation comes down, that would be a really positive sign. But yes, eventually, we've got to start to see those rates come down, which hopefully... Not next week, but later this year, we might hope to start to see some of that easing. I mean, you're you're speaking Jim Labenthal's language. He has a uh, I, I want to bring him into the conversation. He has a question for I mean, his his thesis is more positive than a lot of a, a lot of other uh, strategists, investors, money managers, et cetera. Yeah, no, I, Courtney, it's, uh, welcome to the show. It's nice to hear your thoughts. Uh, they do dovetail with my own. I'm curious, though, how you would be positioned or are positioned in the stock market to reflect your stance. Yeah, and I, I think you do still want to make sure that you're having the the positions here that are going to be more cyclical, but especially, I think we've seen a lot of negativity towards some of your inflation hedges, but even if inflation is coming down, I don't think it's going to be quite at the levels that we've seen previously. So you do still want to have some of that in there. Um, like we are still looking at energy. We are still looking at some of your commodities because I think ultimately some of that has been at least recently oversold here. I think you just want to make sure you're positioned and well cash and ca- companies with good cash flow have some inflation hedges in there and especially companies that have good pricing power. I think that's still going to be really important right now. Mm. So if you look at the picks that you like, I mean, energy and commodities, that's where it goes. Uh, EQT is one of your picks. Tell us about it. Yes, which is, is the largest natural gas producer here in the U.S. And what I like about this is actually we've talked about oil previously, which I I still like the energy trade, but um, EQT actually is a really good opportunity because it's also going to be a little bit more recession resistant, right? Not that I'm of the camp or an impending recession, but if that does in fact happen, you tend to get a lot more demand toward liquid natural gas because that's going to be using things like um, heating and electric power. Um, And longer term, there is a lot more demand towards there because that is a lot cleaner than energy sources like coal. Um, So I think that's going to be a really good play that you can you can look take advantage of in this environment. Okay, Uh, another you know, Jim Labenthal theme here, uh, deer, which uh, he is a, is a new-ish buy for him. But why is it yours? Yeah, and I think what you've seen re- recently with commodities prices coming up, and you've seen also a lot of the, the issues with your agriculture, like some of the trade wars and stuff have eased, and you have a really aging um, uh, equipment force in the uh, agriculture space. And so there's a lot of demand that's going to go towards new equipment with deer. And they're actually getting a lot more into not just selling each of these equipment, but also getting more into the service sector um, and having some like technology services that are adding on top of that, which I think is, is going to be a really good long-term like multi-year cycle for them. I will right, we'll see you soon. Courtney, thank you. That's Courtney Garcia. Thanks for having me. Joining us here. So you, just Jim, on, on Deer, um, a new-ish buy, and you still like this space when maybe some others suggest it's kind of tapped out. Yeah, I, I don't think it is. First off, it's obviously like every stock, it's off of its high uh, meaningfully. Uh, but I just think you're going to see more and more plantings in light of what's going on in Europe. Uh, you're going to need more precision ag equipment. Um, I, I said this yesterday. I'm going to say it again. It seems a no brainer to me. It just does. All right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I actually was just going to compound Jim on the agriculture trade. I mean, we have a diversified basket of agriculture. Uh, we own farmland. We think that this is absolutely something that's going to be an emphasis for countries over the next several years in making a more sustainable food supply. All right. We do have more trades ahead, of course, including two of Jim's stocks, one big gainer, one big laggard. Plus, tune in tonight, 6 Eastern for a CNBC special. Profits 
Politics and Profit will explore the issues at the intersection of money and government tonight, 6 o'clock Eastern. And that is right here on CNBC. Halftime back right after this. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Let me show you the S&P sector heat map today, led by utilities, a little bit of a defensive tone today, Uh, staples in real estate, Got some round number resistance, if you want to call it that. Uh, The Dow at 32,000, maybe that's a level that's going to uh, be battled over uh, for the remainder of the day. 4,000 on the S&P, obviously significant there, too. And we'll keep our eyes uh, uh, there as well. Bertha Coombs has the headlines for us. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Scott. Good afternoon. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden's doctor releasing an update on his health, saying Biden's COVID symptoms are improving and he is continuing to take Paxlovid and Tylenol. His fever has dropped and he will continue to isolate. Senators Patty Murray and Ron Wyden are launching an investigation into abusive facilities that house children with special needs and mental health issues, as well as children from the foster care and juvenile justice systems. Senators sent letters to the heads of four of the largest companies and organizations operating residential treatment facilities across the country, asking for documentation on policies for restraining children, the training provided to employees, and the number of maltreatment and abuse incidents over the past five years. And the Mega Millions grand prize is now up to $660 million, giving players a shot at what would be the nation's ninth largest jackpot ever. Friday night's jackpot has grown so large because there hasn't been a winner in three months. The odds of winning are a staggering one in 302.5 million. It's that 0.5 million that really stacks the odds against you. Yeah, throws you off. All right. Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. Shares of mining company Cleveland Cliffs, Jimmy's favorite. It's lower today after earnings off 50 percent from its recent high. Farmer Jim just spoke with the CEO. We'll find out what he had to say next. All right, we're back. The materials sector is trading roughly in line with the S&P 500 this year. There is still plenty of action, though, under the hood which Dom Chu is looking at in a deeper look into that sector, Dom. So, Scott, I mean, it's such an interesting story because the material sector is the smallest sector in the S&P 500. It's worth less than 3% overall of the index. But so many of the names in this sector have been at the forefront of the market volatility over the course of 2022 because 
of that big inflation narrative or the war between Ukraine and Russia. All of those things have an impact on things like gold, on things like materials and chemicals, and of course, agricultural fertilizers, amongst others. So if you take a look at the tracking difference, it was very close in the beginning between the market and the uh, material sector. It definitely got wider after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And then since the inflation narrative has cooled off a little bit, you've seen the market kind of get back in line. But yields are a big part of that story. If you look at the overall yield for the S&P 500, if you invest in the Spider ETF, it's roughly one and a half percent that you're getting. You're getting 2.2 percent if you invest in the material sector Spider. Among the biggest, thickest yields in the entire sector in the S&P, Lyndell Bissell on the chemical side, five and a half percent. Dow is five and a half percent. International paper is four and a quarter percent. And the same thing with Newmont when it comes to gold and copper. So many of these stocks have the big yields outsized of the market, but many of them have been bigger because of the decline in the stock price. So there are two stocks in the entire material sector that have a yield above the the sector average, which is 2.2 percent, but then have also had positive year to date performance. Only two. And they're both in the same industry. Amcor PLC. 5.5% gain so far this year. And Packaging Corp of America, these are both companies that do container products, film-type products, that sort of thing that hold food and goods. Those stocks are up on the year. And for Amcor, you're getting a bigger, bigger yield. And same with Packaging Corp of America. So better than sector and positive year-to-date gains. Those are some of the ones to focus on, Scott. I'll send things back over to you. Chu, thank you with your sectornomics. We appreciate that. All right, I I tease the fact that we wanted to talk about Cleveland Cliffs. Stock right now is down about 6%. You did speak with the CEO, yeah. uh, whom you greatly admire. I do. We all know that. What did he say? Let me start by saying this. I noticed this. He's extraordinarily happy. Okay, and I want you to remember three years ago when he was pretty angry at some analysts. You remember that? Yeah, like I do. he was really angry. I do. He was not happy. What's he happy about? Cash flow, Scott. Free cash flow. All right. He's got gobs of it. I'm not kidding. He 930 million of free cash flow in the first half of the year, likely to go higher in the second half of the year. The estimate is for two and a half billion. This is the analyst estimate. Two and a half billion of free cash flow this year against an eight billion dollar market cap. That's a 30 percent free cash flow yield. Now, what we talked about is where is that coming from? It's coming from automotive like me. And he's talking to the automotive OEMs themselves, all of them, Stellantis, Ford, Nissan, you name it. He's talking to all of them. They have pent up demand. I know that's a question you and I have discussed. The demand is there, again, because of the age of cars on the fleet. 50% of his business is automotive. He's about to renegotiate contracts, probably, likely, very likely, at higher prices than in the... Slow down, Weiss. Let me finish. Uh, Probably at, at higher prices than are current. So what you've got here is CapEx is going down. He's done with all the cleanup that he had to do when he bought uh, ArcelorMittal and AK Steel a couple of years ago. Okay. And he's just reaping the rewards of cash flow. That's why he's happy. And you know what, Scott? So am I. Well, well why, why is the stock down? Yeah. What why is, is the stock, stock down? What is, this, Very what is simple. the Very market simple. not realizing in the yeah. story you, you and he tell? Because the market sometimes takes a couple of days to actually look under the hood. And here's what the details are. It's a headline miss on earnings. You know why it's a headline earnings miss? Because they had to take an accounting hit for the debt that they bought back early at a discount. That's the way it works. I'm not a CPA. That's the way it works. I know, but you this can is look not a couple of days to figure it out, right? The stock's down 45% in three months. It seems to me, and this is factual, the last three earnings report dates, stocks have done poorly on the earnings report date, even though, frankly, and I submit again today, the earnings report was very good. It takes a couple of days for people to realize what they're looking at. All right. It doesn't take me that so long. It, it, it obviously wouldn't be a show if you and Weiss didn't argue about something. 
when you're on together. Weiss, is he, is were he going to call me bourgeois again? I'm I don't not, know what he's going to call you, but was, I don't know was, if Weiss, that was your voice, you know, piping in when Jimmy was talking or if you were, you know, doing something else yeah. or what. But you want to take issue with this? The, yeah, that was my voice. I, I was supposed to nod to the producer instead of speak, so I apologize. To, to Jimmy Patty yelled at you that. anyway. He look, yelled at you um, anyway, so I don't know if you heard that. Yeah, 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 yeah she did. <laughs> look, look, I know Jim's a little worked up because somebody else got to the name Payne Capital before he did. But here's what I'd say on Cleveland Cliffs. I actually agree <laughs> that the CEO is phenomenal. I agree he's done a tremendous job. But every stock has a moment in time where it works or it doesn't, and it's longer than a moment, so I'm exaggerating. This is not the market for this kind of company. When you're looking at, look at the, look at the yield to the 10-year. It's telling you people are worried about the economy, and that's going to persist. So I don't think we'll look up in a couple of days and see the stock higher. I think potentially the stock goes lower. Yeah, but that's he doesn't just, own it. In fairness, it he doesn't own it or nor care in a couple yeah. of days if it goes higher or not. Right. If, if and what about a couple of years. Right. And, and, right. and, and you know what? Um, that's great. Uh, I just hate losing money, whether it's in a couple of days and a few months or a couple of years. As I said in the show before, I don't buy a new car today because I'm going to drive it two years from now. I buy a new car today because I'm going to drive it today. So there's a difference of time frame how we look at things. So I think you have plenty of time to get into this and the other Yeah, just make stocks. this really quick. The thing about positive free cash flow, and particularly in the size that it is right now, is what they can do with it. Their debt level is now down to one times EBITDA, which is insanely low. They're going to buy back more debt. And they're going to buy back. Slow down. They're going to buy down. Uh, they're going to buy back shares opportunistically. So if you're right, Steve, maybe you are. If you're right and the shares go down further, they're going to be buying back shares. This is the beauty of when you have gobs of free cash flow. Um, you seem so angry, Steve. You should you should talk to Lorenzo. I, no, I, I'm, I'm not angry Lorenzo. at all. You'll be happy again. I, I, I love being on with you, Jim. I love being with you. You're 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 almost one of my most liked people. Um, look, it doesn't matter. That's not what's going to drive it. They've had free cash flow. There's nothing new to the story. And yes, you could buy back stock, and hopefully that supports the price. But they can't compete with the overall market. And with the sentiment that's in the market, you know what I just do. don't believe you own such economically gonna, sensitive companies I'm wrap it up. in declining environments. I'm going to wrap it up. You know what he's going to do? You know what he's going to do. He's going to end up buying the stock. <laughs> and then, like he did before. And then selling it like the next did. day I'm no, on the not. show. Like he did I sold it. I sold <laughs> like it in 20. Like you know what? With Boeing. He bought what, it just what, so he could sell it When I sold it. I got it. When I sold it at 26, I was maligned as it went to 30. Yeah. I needed an apology, Jim, to make you feel better. All right. <laughs> let's, let's, take a, let's take the break. Uh, straight ahead, we do have our call of the day. One firm cutting targets on a group of media stocks. The committee's got ownership there, which means we'll trade it ahead. All right, welcome back. It's time for the call of the day, and it comes from Moffitt Nathanson today. They downgrade Paramount to underperform. They cut several media stock targets. They say we're a lot closer to a lot more material slowdown. It's our call of the day. So, Jimmy, this is like the second one of the week, isn't it, for Paramount? We're we, were about, we were talking about it earlier this week. In the last couple week. of weeks, we this, one, about this one seems to be the one that the analysts are zeroed in on. I, I, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. Look, it's not the first time I haven't gotten it, but here's why I don't get it, okay? you got a stock here that's trading at 12 times earnings. 
Actually, a little less than that. Last quarter, they added 6 million subscribers to Paramount+. Plus. 6 million. This is when Netflix grew not at all. Uh, this quarter, and they'll report in a couple of weeks, the estimate is for 3 million. They have a, a habit of outperforming on that. Uh, you know, they trade at seven, uh, 70% of book value. They're growing their business. They're investing in the future. Look, if, you, if somebody wants to downgrade it on those metrics, and maybe it's because they think the ad spend in the next quarter or two is going to be lousy, go right ahead. But I'm not. I'm not giving in, uh, not with what I just described. The early signs of slowing advertising demand, this is from the note from the digital companies as well as traditional media, suggests we are a lot closer to a more material slowdown. They say, to your, and, and countering your point, I guess, about Paramount Plus, despite the continued momentum at Plus, we downgrade Paramount as the growing risk of lower advertising puts additional pressure on the company's ability to grow earnings and free cash flow. So a couple of things. That's classic short term versus longer term. Um, well, well, no, of course. Yeah. yeah, but I'm not in this because I think, you know, I'm not in this stock because I'm worried about what the third quarter of 2022 ad spend is going to be. I'm in this stock because in 2024, they look like they're well on uh, track to exceed their target of 100 million subscribers. And you look at this market cap and it, I think it's about 16 billion right now. You may, don't quote me on that. That it's just worth a lot more than that when you get to 100 million subscribers. They're investing in that right now. They have the cash to do it. Nobody wants to talk about this, but about a year and a half ago, when that Archegos melt-up happened, they sold shares. They did a secondary, got three billion dollars of cash, sold the shares at like 95 dollars a share. It was incredible. They got the cash on hand. They've got positive free cash flow. Don't get me going again. Uh, positive free cash flow. Who? Uh, and I think it was Weiss. I was probably somebody was muttering. Now you're hearing ear. things. I literally didn't. <laughs> Even hear anything. Okay. It was it was Patty telling us we gotta go. I'm talking too long. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't even shine the pen light at you. All right. Uh, you're that jumpy. I'm seeing ghosts. <laughs> ghosts of mice. All right. Up next, we have some good news for Farmer Jim. One of the stocks he owns, well, I mean I'm sure more than one, but one is trading at an all-time high. We'll give you the name and the trade when we come back. Overtime tonight, 4 o'clock Eastern time as we wrap up the week. And, of course, we look ahead to a critical week coming up. Brian Belsky will be with me. Eric Jackson will as well. Chris Harvey, too. I look forward to seeing all of you in just a few hours' time. I did want to note a stock at an all-time high today. Give you some grief. I'm going to give you some love. Okay? (laughs) Genuine parts. GPC, all-time high, back to the IPO in 1948. You've made your bullish thesis on parts, and you think cars are going to have to be replaced. So I wanted to give you a little love there. Seach, I want to hear from you, though. AutoZone and O'Reilly, you own both of those in this space. Yeah, I think in, in the consumer space, you have to be really, really selective, Scott. This is how we. This is one of the ways we've been selective. Um, these suppliers should see continued tailwinds from an aging automotive industry. They're not overly, uh, overly expensive, and businesses are just phenomenal right now. So that's the way we played it this year. It's really accrued to our advantage. Okay. Why don't you give me a final trade, Robbie? Um, you know, we're a little cautious, so uh, we're taking customers' cash, putting it in six-month treasuries, the inverted yield curve. You can pick up a nice yield in the short run. Okay. Uh, interesting. Steve Weiss, what about you? Yeah, look, I— I would play an option, op, Apple options here. So if you own the stock, I would sell some covered calls out of the money. 
If you don't, I'd buy the puts. You can buy them pretty cheap. Those those options are priced rationally for a change. Yeah. Man, so expire it, next week, you get it in before the earnings. Going to be huge next week. Shan. Um, I talked about it earlier in the show, Amazon, uh, head of earnings next week. Uh, we may see a little bit of pressure, but I'm not that concerned about it. And so I would put a position in if you don't own this stock. Oh, okay. Ahead of the print. All right. And Farmer Jim, to wrap it all up for us. Yep, Boeing, a little bit to tweak my, uh, my friend Steve, but also because this was one heck of a week in terms of order announcements for Boeing. Of course, they do have earnings coming up next week, so Steve may be able to throw a pie in my face in the middle of next week. We shall see. All right. Well, I see you talk long enough that I can't give him a chance to respond. So we'll that's what he did there. with the bourgeois comment. Yeah, that's going to leave him out there. All right, I'll see you in a few. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.